Want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the causes and solutions to underlying problems. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theory to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to double the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has been in the worst bear market in decades. At MiningStocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become 201ks or worse. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights, call 718-457-1426 or visit MiningStocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters. All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network show and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome back to the second hour of Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I want to thank each of you for listening to this show, making it the number one show on the Voice America Business Channel. And I also want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. And our sponsors are Brazil Resources, Dynacor Gold Mines, Eurasian Minerals, Miranda Gold Corp., and Renaissance Gold. Well, I'm really pleased to have with me once again Jeff Deist, who has just finished serving as Ron Paul's Chief of Staff. Uh, welcome, Jeff. Good to have you back. Thanks, Jay. Good to be here. Uh, let me know, tell us what your what your former boss is up to now. Well, he's very busy uh, setting up some new websites, uh, getting organized with a new foundation, and also planning out his 2013 speaking schedule, which is hopefully going to include some overseas stops, but mostly here in America. So, uh, you know, he's definitely a busy guy and still very much in demand. Uh, he's been on. Cavuto and some other shows just in the past few days talking about the fiscal cliff vote. You know, one of the things that I find is, is really uh, good about Ron Paul, there's many things that's good about Ron Paul from my, from my perspective, but one of the things about him, Jeff, is that he is a nice man. He's a man who respects or at least appears to respect people, and he is able then, he's not confrontational, it seems. He, he just sort of gives, he, he tells people what he believes, and of course people know he believes it because he lives what he believes. And you'll, I don't know, you know how surprised I've been by people who I thought would be antagonistic to Ron Paul. I'm thinking Squawk Box on CNBC, for example, Neil Cavuto and others. They genuinely like the guy when they sit down and talk to him, and they, they seem to respect him. Would you say that's, that's true of most people? 
once they get to know him, he doesn't have a self-important bone in his body. It really isn't about him. <laughs> yeah. The Ron Paul revolution is not a Ron Paul revolution. It's a revolution of ideas, and not everybody accepts those ideas. You know, I get that, but... Uh, the, the difference here is that the man advocating those ideas doesn't have a self-interest in this and is not a, a despicable person like so many people advocating other ideas. And I think that that shines through, and, and it didn't happen overnight. It took 30 years of beating his head against the wall, uh, but he's finally gotten some respect, um, even from the mainstream. Yeah, he he really does, and it seems to me a lot of the people, you know, we hear a lot of people these days talking about how evil Washington has gotten, how, you know, people can't just get along anymore. You know, they like to go back and talk about how Reagan and Tip O'Neill used to play golf together. I don't know what they did, drink together, whatever they did. They they got along well, and they sat down in the room, and they, they passed legislation. And, you know, but of course, most of this comes from the left side of the perspective, it seems to me. They're saying, well, can't those Tea Party guys just simply, can't they just get it? and realize that it's a noble thing for their taxes to be raised. I mean, isn't that what's thrown out there mostly? It's, it's the notion that, in fact, uh, well, we, we, we should be able to just realize that, uh, that having our property confiscated is a good thing. Jay, if there's one thing the left is good at, it's, it's falsifying history. Uh, there's never been a time in human politics where things were hunky-dory. Um, there's always been a political class versus the nation, yeah. Um, there, there's always been bitter struggles to control that political class. It's not a struggle over ideology. Um, so, you know, they, they, that's just nonsense. Reagan yeah. and Tip O'Neill, uh, I, I have no use for either. Yeah. Reagan or O'Neill. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's, uh, that's interesting because we want to talk about David Stockman today. Uh, we just listened to his speech. Uh, David Stockman, of course, worked for Ronald Reagan, and he was taken to the woodshed by Ronald Reagan because, I guess, because he said that we really needed to cut back government. We needed to cut back our spending. And Mr. Reagan, of course, at that point in time, ran a budget deficit that was bigger than anything previously seen uh, by a long shot. I mean, he spent huge amounts of money on the military-industrial complex, did he not? Sure, and David Stockman was in, in part ousted from the Reagan administration for being a heretic because he wouldn't accept supply-side or orthodoxy, which was really coming into vogue in the 1980s. But i got to tell you, I really enjoyed giving a second listen to that speech. I wasn't able to attend the Mises Circle in Manhattan, mm-hmm. and so, uh, but I caught the speech uh, via Mises TV a couple mm-hmm. nights ago and then listened to it again, and it was really, really good. I mean, it's a, in 35 minutes, David Stockman essentially explains what is wrong with this picture. And the number one thing wrong with this picture is the Federal Reserve. Uh, that's a far bigger problem than, than Congress. It's a far bigger problem than the Supreme Court. Uh, it's a far bigger problem than the, the, you know, the day-to-day microeconomy, unemployment, etc., etc. It is the root of all these evils. Oh, yeah. You know, as he points out, we keep confusing the symptoms with the cause. Uh, but what I think what I was most taken with, I mean, there's so many points of enormous importance in, in his talk. But what I was most taken with when he, was when he talked about how what, what investors are really doing, especially professional institutional investors, which in this day and age are basically computers. Yeah. W- investors are really trading the Fed. In other words, equity prices aren't based on earnings or tangible 
metrics, they're based on the next Fed action or the next Fed press release or the next pronouncement by Bernanke that, that moves the needle one direction or another. And, you know, from my perspective as a small guy, as a small investor trying to protect my family, what this means to me is that, you know, this thing is so incredibly rigged that I don't want to be part of it. So for me, my personal decision from that, I'm not telling anyone else what to do. Yeah. But I think I'm always interested when other people talk about what they actually literally do because information is no good unless you act on it. Yeah. So for me personally, I wouldn't participate in any equity markets. I wouldn't participate in any bond markets. I'm mostly liquid in money markets, which, of course, bears some risk. Yeah. Uh, I have some physical precious metals. And the only uh, paper assets I'm interested in owning at this point are maybe some, a handful of junior miners, mm-hmm. uh, maybe some intermediate miners, uh, simply because I see so much potential upside that, you know, for at least in the short term with some of that stuff. But uh, I think the average Joe trying to play this market in terms of, you know, uh, Fortune 500 companies, the S&P, whatever it might be, I, I think that's a fool's errand. And, uh, you know, God bless people who are doing it, but the, I, I hope that they're, that they're really smart to be going up against what is a uh, horrifically manipulated market from the get-go. Yes, and David's talk, David Stockman's talk, really pointed that out, Jeff. Uh, I know uh, he talked about, um, well, in fact, the speech that he gave in New York was the day after Bernanke's uh, QE Infinite speech, the one in which he's going to buy uh, $40 billion worth of mortgage-backed securities and I think $45 billion of treasuries, or maybe it's the other way around. But nonetheless, an infinite, uh, for an infinite period of time until we get inflation or get uh, unemployment down to 6 or 6.5%, some, some uh, arbitrary number that he picked, I suppose. Uh, and, and in that speech, um, David talked about how uh, huge amounts of money were made he figures $50 billion by a couple thousand people within an hour or so of that, uh, of that, of that discussion, of, that, uh, of Bernanke's speech. Uh, and he also talked about how um, uh, uh, over the years, the stock market, in fact, the S&P 500, uh, if it, most of the profit uh, that was made or the gains that were made in the S&P 500 from 425 in 1994 until just recently, when it was at 1460, <clears throat> Excuse me. All but two, uh, about eighty-five percent of that profit was made in a twenty-four period, a twenty-four hour period of time. I think following or leading up. I mean, maybe prior to, prior to the announcement, or right after the announcement, right around the announcement, anyway. So that the insiders, the uh, the Wall Streeters, the Goldman Sachs, the J.P. Morgans of this world, knowing what was coming and having the sophistication and the instruments and the computer programs in which to position themselves. Uh, were able to make huge amounts of money. I mean, it, it, I think what David was saying is exactly what you were saying, right? That it is a rigged system. Yeah, it's a casino system, and we don't have real capital markets, as he explained. I mean, the the markets, the the money in capital markets, they don't price anything, they don't discount futures, they don't allocate capital. I mean, w- with effectively zero interest rates, you have an interest rates being nothing but a price at the end of the day. You have no signals for the market, so you know how does anybody know what's what's real and what's not real in terms of earnings, um, in terms of, of supply and demand? It's you know I don't have all day to uh, to study the markets. I'm not an institutional investor. Sure. So uh, you know it it just seems to me that 
the whole thing is, is somewhat farcical at best. And, you know, as he pointed out, the real class war is the Fed's war on saving and thrift. <clears throat> I mean, this is, this is the real tragedy here is that we're, we're encouraging people to not to save money because why would you when real inflation is 10% or whatever it is? Um, so we're encouraging people to be reckless. We're encouraging malinvestment. Um, amongst commercial actors, and and um, you know, the, probably the scariest thing of all is this leverage ratio concept, which he introduced, and and uh, you know that's got to be sending off alarm bells. I mean, I know it's a historical type measure, but oh yes, um, boy, I'll tell you what, um, uh, that to me is much more profound than debt to GDP. Yeah, if, uh, well, I know that the debt-to-GDP levels that he talked about, we had gone from something that he said was a <clears throat> historically uh, going all the way back to, I forget how long, but almost forever in the United States history, uh, that total debt, not just government debt, but total yeah, debt. Yeah, right, I'm talking about federal debt-to-GDP. Um, <clears throat> yeah. And, and, of course, federal debt's much worse than, than claimed because of entitlements and, and future obligations. Sure. And GDP is much worse than claimed because we include government spending in it. Sure. Jeff, you know, we, the United States entered into World War II to, just, uh, to destroy fascism, supposedly, and then, it, and then we had the Cold War, and Mr. Reagan spent huge amounts of money to supposedly to defeat communism. You were just talking about the price mechanism being destroyed. It seems to me that we have destroyed, and David Stockman said it, I mean, he said that we are destroying, that Bernanke is destroying capitalism from the inside out. You just... You just talked about the pricing mechanism of interest rates being taken away from the market. Have we not, in, this, in essence, destroyed, we are in the process, are we not, of destroying capitalism? I say we, Bernanke, and the policymakers that are creating infinite amounts of money, destroying the price mechanism in the uh, capital markets. Are we not in the, in the process of replacing freedom and free market economics with some sort of ism, uh, a fascism, a communism, or some mixture hybrid of the two. Sure, it's a, it's a it's statism and it's a, it's state capitalism, meaning a form of corporatism or fascism. There's no question about it because there are state connected, ostensibly private actors who benefit the most because they get in on the front end of the newly created money. Some of that is sitting on the balance sheets of, of Fed member banks. Some of it goes to Fed connected uh, companies like AIG. Um, you, you know, whatever it is, but sure, that we don't have a capitalist economy in America, but what we do have is a dopey Republican Party that is getting capitalism blamed on, uh, you know, g- getting capitalism blamed for our current woes, um, for what's happened, you know, in, in 2008 and, and f- since then. So it's a strange time in America. You have a, a largely ahistorical population um, you know, with no no uh, teaching of economics, people have to go out and find it on their own. They certainly don't get it in school as kids. No. no. Uh, so you know, it's it's uh, interesting times we live in, and hopefully, it won't take a a real crash, meaning a crash of of our well being, our material crash, to uh, to bring people to their senses. Yeah, I know it's hard for me to see how it's going to happen. Although I know that Richard Mayberry, uh, in a recent newsletter, rejoiced. That Mr. Bernanke, or that uh, Bernanke, I guess Bernanke is probably more important than Obama, but that Obama won the election, and his his thinking there was that at least uh, people will perceive Obama to be a socialist, 
Uh, and when the system breaks down, rather socialist than a perceived capitalist, and I underscore the word perceived capitalist that Mr. Romney would have been, at least that they will be blaming socialism or communism for our failure, uh, and that there's a better chance, therefore, that uh, capitalism may be given a, a chance again at some point in the future. Any thoughts on that? Well, that would be great. I hope that's the case. Um, the media is certainly hostile to markets and capitalism, so I'm not sure that, that they'll ever explain it that way. And, and quite frankly, if you look at history, government crises or economic crises, I should say, tend to result in more government, not less. I mean, people tend to clamor for the, for the safety or security of, of government and, and, and troops and uh, war, you know, um, during crises. So I'm not so sure that, uh, you know, we should just let things fall apart and, and <clears throat> hope that it'll all be blamed on bad choices of the past. I think we still need to get in the trenches and struggle to, to turn this ocean liner around. Yeah, it, it almost seems to be, uh, um, it seems hopeless at times, and I suppose that, uh, uh, that we can always hope. Uh, the American Revolution, of course, was was an anomaly in history. I think, though, wasn't it, Jeff? And and how could it happen then? How did it happen? How was it? How were you know? How what were the thing? What was in place at that time that made it possible for this whole notion of limited government to come about? Well, one thing is that the uh, the colonial settlers of the time were very unhappy with British taxes. Um, <laughs> so you know, it tends to be the pocketbook. And the uh, you know the kitchen table that makes uh, for revolutions, but uh, we shall see. I mean, those the, the people then were made of much sterner stuff than we are now, um, you know. And I sometimes I think we have our own form of soma, uh, you know, with online entertainment and, and sports and and uh, you know American Idol and this sort of thing. So I don't know. I don't know how the future unfolds. But you know, if you look at the collapse of the former Soviet Union in the late '80s, I mean, it really is. It, it, it can be rapid. It can be just a short matter of months when government no longer is able to provide what it says it can provide. In other words, if Social Security checks start becoming worthless because of hyperinflation, um, if uh, welfare and AFDC and EBT no longer functions for the poorest folks, uh, you know, things could unravel very quickly. Uh, and that's, it's really, you know, we could see that the emperor has no clothes and, uh, see how rapidly change could happen. Well, in terms of the emperor having no clothes, as, as we uh, approach this so-called fiscal cliff, I was kind of hoping, Jeff, in a way, that we would go over the fiscal cliff so that people could actually sort of have a first-hand experience as to what, was, you know, what this pain might be about. And one of the things that I think uh, would have been most painful and would have really got people angry was the alternative minimum tax. And I guess they patched that over again this year, did they not? Yes, at least in part they quote-unquote fixed the AMT, <laughs> meaning they prevented certain lapses in the law from happening on January 1st, which would have thrust many tens of, probably something along the lines of 30 or 40 million Americans into yeah. AMT who currently don't pay AMT. And uh, AMT is a very complicated subject, but, uh, you know, it, to put it mildly, people don't like it. And uh, it causes a lot of, not just, you know, cost in terms of you've got to pay extra taxes or additional taxes, but there's also a huge compliance burden in figuring out both your regular taxes and your AMT, um, you know, whether that's your CPA or using TurboTax or whatever it might be. So, you know, it's a good thing uh, on balance that, 
that that was part of this fiscal cliff deal. Uh, but I, I understand what you're saying. Sometimes you almost wish that people would get all the government that they that they vote for and ask for, mm-hmm. so that they could really experience it, um, it, you know, up up close and personal, as opposed to just some abstraction that they think is happening to some rich guy somewhere else. Yeah. Well, my sense of it is that uh, yeah, the 30 or 40 million people that would have been hit by AMT, uh, there would have been some people mad as hell, and they wouldn't take it anymore, and. Uh, what I believe has happened is that the Congress has basically passed or patched over enough of them to make sure to try to keep the anger quotient down. Do you think that's what it is? Well, yes. I mean, the tragedy of the vote last week was, of course, that the payroll tax cut for uh, Social Security uh, investment was resurrected. So basically, the average Joe who may make you know twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars a year saw his or her Payroll tax go up by two percent, uh, so that they might, you know, that could mean uh, fifty or hundred bucks every paycheck. So that was that was interesting because I think a lot of Obama supporters were not expecting that, um, you know, in their paycheck. But that that was really probably the worst immediate thing from from the vote last week. Yeah, well, we're looking at, uh, I, you know, we're looking at a another cliff approaching sometime soon. Uh, how 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 do you think this is going to play out? Now you're not any longer directly involved. Uh, you will be watching from the outside rather than from the inside as you were. But we have another two or three months. We've got another issue uh, that is the uh, the ceiling, the debt ceiling. Well, that that will just be, uh, of course, will be increased by another trillion to accommodate all this quantitative easing, right? Right. And the debt ceiling vote will be a big one. You know, we're going to have to keep raising the debt ceiling. There's no question about it. So really, it just comes down to how, how long will the world accept our dollar as the reserve currency? How long will Asian central banks, um, you know, hold up? How long will, will gold and silver stay uh, somewhat clamped down if we just keep printing and we just keep raising the debt ceiling? You know, it's interesting um, – the debt ceiling law is, is uh, from the early part of the 20th century, and the idea was that, well, it, it used to be that every round of Treasury offerings, the Treasury Department had to go to Congress for permission. And when Congress passed the debt ceiling law, it was to make things easier for Treasury so that basically Congress could say, look, the Treasury is authorized to incur, incur debt up to this amount. Mm-hmm. Anything underneath that, you don't have to ask us each time you want to have a new treasury offer. So it was a mechanism to make things run more smoothly so the treasury uh-huh. wasn't constantly having to come to Congress. Um, in, in recent years, it's become sort of an embarrassment uh, and a political tool for whichever party uh, does not control the White House, um, mm-hmm. you know, to constantly have to have these public votes on the debt ceiling. But uh, look, what these votes really ought to mean, Jay, is that... Um, you know, stop raising the debt ceiling and figure out a way for Congress to pay the nation's bills with just the money that's coming in every month to the Treasury. And if that meant restructuring some of those bills, uh, going to creditors and, and dealing with them in whatever way, if that meant restructuring entitlements, um, you know, that's going to be really hard. And politically, that's seemingly impossible, but it's only going to get harder. Uh, yeah. it, it'll never be easier than it is today. So, uh, I don't anticipate Congress doing that, but uh, you know, any, anybody in Congress who votes to increase the debt ceiling is an accomplice, as far as I'm concerned. 
Well, your boss never did, of course, and uh, he always stood on principle. One of the things I, I wonder, though, what are some of the signs we might look at for uh, foreigners giving up on owning dollars? I mean, it seems to me the Chinese have not been uh, have not been hiding the fact that they they would like to diversify is the word they use, and they're certainly making no bones about wanting to own gold. They are not allowing exports of gold from China. They are the largest producer of gold now. They are the largest importer of gold right now. Uh, what might we look for? I mean, might we see some some key in the interest rates in the in the treasury markets? Of course, Bernanke can keep buying and he can increase if he wants to. He can buy more than that eighty billion a month or whatever of, of securities he's talking about buying it for. Uh, into uh, you know forever, um, but what what might we look for to get a sense of when the game might be over? Well, I mean, as a raw idea, in 2013, the fiscal fiscal 2013 for the U.S. federal government, um, Congress will probably spend about 1.5 trillion more than it takes in in taxes. Okay, Jeez. so we're going to have a 1.5 trillion dollar single year deficit. Now it took all the way until 1980 from the beginning of our country until yeah. 1980 to reach our first 1 trillion in, right. in federal debt. So we'll we'll uh, increase that by 50% in 1 year. Yeah. Um and and it's the question is how much will the US Fed sop up of that deficit, you know, that 1.5 trillion single year deficit. Now if you believe Paul Krugman, he wrote a column about a month ago. He said, "Hey, this is fine. Look, mm-hmm. Um, we never told you when you bought treasury debt that you would be paid back with, with anything other than just nominal dollars. We never told you that the, the money you'd be paid back would have the same value. We never uh-huh. promised not to print anymore. Uh-huh. So there's no default. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, it doesn't matter. And, and we're a sovereign government. We can print money until the end of, the, of, of time. So don't worry. There's no such thing as a default risk. Now, I'm sure that our creditors would have a slightly different opinion than Mr. Krugman. But, right. you know, at the end of the day... Um, it's it's all just about how quickly this market for tre- U.S. Treasuries deteriorates and, and how much more the Fed has to buy every year, um, because at some point it becomes so frightening that the only you know no one's going to touch U.S. Treasury, especially if it's you know ten, twenty, thirty years out. Um, they're going to they're going to start wanting fifteen or eighteen percent again, like the nineteen seventies, to 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 compensate for their risk. And and right now, Jay, the our are, if you look at the line item of the U.S. federal government budget, um, interest on the national debt is, is between four and five hundred billion a year. Okay, and that's only because interest rates are so incredibly low. Right. Um, but with just a slight, as, as David Stockton points out, with just a slight up, uptick in that, I mean, um, we, we look, we only bring in about two trillion a year. Right. <laughs> okay, it's been stagnant for the last three or four years, maybe two point one, two point two trillion. Okay. So basically, about a quarter of that goes to debt service, okay? Um, you know, the, the military in all of its permutations, some of it through the State Department, some of it through foreign aid, some of it through the DOD, is about a trillion. Right. <laughs> so you've already got $1.5 trillion just between the military and payment on the debt. Um, in, entitlements, Social Security, you know, some people would actually like to have roads and bridges and post office and uh, uh, Army Corps of Engineers and a few other things. So it's hopeless. I mean, we're hopelessly beyond uh, spending just $2 trillion a year at this yeah. point. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that line item in the, in the budget, uh, 
for interest on debt is the uh, it's the lever, and and when it sort of tips over, um, the federal government's ability to to operate is just going to crash. And then the dollar presumably crashes, uh, or there, you're going to have to see extremely high interest rates, which would throw us into, I think, the worst depression we can imagine. Well, and you know maybe that's you know the depression is the cure to yeah. to the hyperinflationary monetary policy of the last 30 years. I mean, I hate to say it. I, I certainly don't want that for myself or my kids, but I'd rather have two or three years of real ugliness than, than you know, 30 years of, of trying to let the air out slowly or whatever, whatever form it might take. It might take the form of, of global wars. It might take the form of, uh, of uh, you know, uh, all, all kinds of things, you know. It, but, I, you know, I hate to say it, but... It's like David Stockman says, we need, we need cleansing and liquidation. Um, it's the only solution that, that we have to get back to some sort of rational balance sheet. That means in the private sector companies, it means banks, it means households, and it means the government. All four of those have to get back to having mark-to-market to balance sheets, so to speak. In yeah. other words, all the, especially all this mortgage-backed security debt, that's out there. It's all toxic. It's all wildly overstated on the books of, of large national banks, global banks. And uh, until we unwind it all, we really won't know where we are. Um, yeah. you know, well, that's nothing's exactly right. But, but politically, it's impossible to do anything. I mean, it's uh, obviously your boss uh, always stuck by uh, the Constitution, and so he never got himself into that uh, that mess. If we had uh, a congressman like him uh, across the board, we wouldn't have gotten ourselves. Of course, we wouldn't have gone off the gold standard either. We would have uh, retained uh, honest money, and we would not have allowed the Federal Reserve uh, and Ben Bernanke to do what they did. But do you agree with David Stockman then, who called uh, Mr. Bernanke? Uh, I think the words were the most dangerous. Um, uh, servant, the most dangerous uh, person in high office uh, in history. Sure. If you look at the loss of equity amongst n- nations across the world, across all asset classes, everybody suffered in 08, except for sort of gold, right? Um, you know, the, 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 that's the single biggest act of theft in the history of mankind has been the unprecedented growth in U.S. dollar monetary inflation by Greenspan and Bernanke. There's no question about it. In in my opinion, both those men should be in jail. There's no question. Um, You know, but, you know, it takes you back to the first Godfather movie, right? When uh, I think, I don't know if it was the Don said this or Tom Hagen said this. He said, uh, you know, a lawyer with his briefcase can steal more than a thousand men with guns. Yeah. And uh, as long as it's done via inflation, um, People just don't view it the same way. I mean, right. in the good old days, and you know, in, in the good old days when we were just Keynesians, you used to take people's money by taxes, right? Yeah. Um, now you just inflate it and um, hope people are are too stupid to figure it out. Yeah, that's exactly right. In fact, David Stockman talked about a, a Federal Reserve. Uh, chairman going way back, Eccles, I think his name was. Uh, I don't was before my time, but at least he he was a Keynesian. But at least he thought that if government was going to take uh, money from its citizens, it should do it the honest way through taxes rather than rather than the uh, the hidden uh, way, uh, the burglary, uh, the theft, the, the larceny of the of the 
of uh, the printing press, which is definitely taking away the wealth, of removing it from the people who create it and putting it in the hands of people who are able to to game the system, so to speak. Well, Jeff, we are uh, out of time. I wanted to ask you, though, just real quickly, uh, the um, uh, the nomination of uh, Mr. Uh, Senator Hegel, uh, and I know that you've spoken in the past about uh, your your view is that when push comes to shove, the American people are going to want to see us cut back on military uh, rather than cut back on food stamps and other social welfare issues. Do you do you see Hegel as somebody who maybe uh, and uh, and uh, our president as as wanting to cut back on military spending, or is this just sort of a, a political game that's being played? No, I don't see the Hegel nomination that way. He will be a loyal soldier to the administration. The defense secretaries don't make policy. They follow the policy of the administration or they, they become ex-defense secretaries. Um, I see this as sort of a cynical nod to Obama's progressive wing um, that uh, okay. voted for this guy twice. Um, he, he's not anti-war. He doesn't have a cutting bone in his body. I mean, he, he, he either doesn't understand what's happening with the dollar or he doesn't care. Yeah. Um, so I certainly don't see Hegel as any great... Uh, Savior, um, yeah. you know, but, uh, you know, look, if he was going to do something like this, he, he would have cut back by now. It's his fourth or fifth year in office. So yeah. um, I don't, I never view uh, government as a savior. No, no, hardly uh, do I either, Jeff. Well, thank you. We're, we are out of time. Thank you very much for your thoughts and your comments uh, on David Stockman's ideas and, and your own thoughts as well. And all the best to you. Hope to have you on again sometime in the near future. Okay. Folks, don't go away. We're going to be right back with Chen Lin. He's got some ideas Well, where he's going to share a couple of his ideas about how uh, he thinks we might be able to make some money. In 2013, despite what Jeff Dice just said, we are hoping that Chen has some, some good ideas for us. So don't go away. We'll be right back with Chen Lin. Always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Investors deserve to start seeing greater returns, period. Creating shareholder value requires vision and a disciplined, fiscally responsible style. At Dynacor Gold Mines, we are proving how to fuel growth without shareholder dilution. Cash flow and liquidity levels are as robust as the company has seen throughout its history. Dynacor is a low-risk public company generating actual profits coupled with real shareholder value. Learn more at DynacorGold.com or follow us on Twitter at DynacorGold. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network.
listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me uh, again Chen Lin. He hasn't been with us for quite some time, uh, but Chen has been working hard and, and doing very well um, uh, as an investor. Uh, and uh, down there in, in New Jersey, uh, in a, uh, well, I think uh, a nice place to live down in the, in, a, in the Garden State. So welcome, Chen. Really good to have you back with me again. Thank you, Jay. Uh, 2013, we're just starting it out. Uh, 2012 was a difficult market, I think, in many ways. Uh, how do you see 2013? Any easier in the stock market this year? Well, I see continually uh, could be difficult, uh, could be difficult, especially in the beginning of the year. We're going to have a fiscal cliff version 2 in a month or two. Yeah. Okay, uh, but in uh, relatively, we're looking a little bit longer term. Um, I'm getting a little bit optimistic, <laughs> like uh, your previous speaker. Um, uh, partly because I see it's uh, it's a turning around of the Chinese uh, economy. Okay. okay. The housing market. The housing market is really the the cocaine of Chinese economy, if you say. Uh huh. It's uh-huh. going up again. I mean, so that means you know, housing is a slow moving. Uh, market. So if it goes up, that means that all the provinces will have money to pay their debt. They can, you know, at least extend whatever it is uh, that the, the problem they could have will be, you know, a few years down the road. So, so to so to speak. So I, I'm kind of bullish uh, right now in the Chinese economy and the United States. For what I see is uh, it's uh, right now it depends on really depend on the fiscal cliff. Mm-hmm. Uh, the version two solution. If there's a chance that the U.S. can meddle through, if there's some way that they will kick the can down the road, whatever they do, and uh, we could have a decent market in the United States after that. So actually, uh, run you know fiscal clay version two in February March could be a good time you know to pick up some cheap stocks. Mm-hmm. And then look at Europe. European seems to be won't break up this year, <laughs> at least for now. You know, uh-huh. so uh, looks okay. So you know, Japan they're printing their new government. They're going to print. Uh, at least the investor may have some hope. So I'm generally cautiously optimistic for 2013. Mm-hmm. Well, it's uh, it's fair enough. I think uh, also I would just point out. I'd like to get your response on this. I think that the. Uh, QE Infinite that Mr. Bernanke announced back in October, I mean in September, I think it was, uh, we talked about, it was the day after he made that announcement that David Stockman made that speech that was on, uh, that we just played a little while ago. Bernanke uh, has not, as I understand it, has not put that into effect until the start of 2013. It was Operation Twist before that in which he bought the long, the short end of the yield curve, or sold the short end and bought the long end to push long-term interest rates to try to push the housing industry. But it's my idea, it's my understanding, I don't know what your, what your understanding is, but it's my understanding that this new QE is only taking place now in January and that we haven't really seen that stimulus, uh, drive asset prices higher yet, but we, we may very well be on the verge of seeing that now. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, very possibly. And this together with the housing market seems that if some bottom 
you know, New Jersey, New York may be hard because foreclosure process is longer, but I heard from California, from many other states, uh, housing is on the rebound. So, yeah, together with that, additional QE could could have a more stimulus effect to the, the whole market. I can uh, tell our listeners that something that I put together some time ago called my Inflation Deflation Watch is apparently breaking out to the upside as well. So it, there was a pennant formation, uh, and it uh, is peaking its head above that uh, upper level of the pennant. And so uh, just another indication that the broad base of all kinds of assets, uh, Chinese stocks, Indian stocks, uh, oil, copper, um, you know, uh, auto stocks. Uh, we've got other things in there as well to try to judge the uh, to judge the market as a whole. Seems to be breaking out potentially. At the same time, we've got this huge amount of debt, uh, and so it's it's just a very very difficult environment. It seems to me more difficult than anything that I've seen in a long time. But uh, you know, Chen, you've you've done very well uh, by. By not being so timid, you know, I mean, I, I have always been more fearful. Of course, I'm a little older than you, and I have to be a little more cautious probably with my nest egg. But nonetheless, uh, you have done extremely well by, uh, by taking an aggressive stance, of course, selectively. It's not like you just went out and bought the S&P or bought the Dow or whatever. If you had, you wouldn't have done so well. And you, uh, you, you've done very well by picking individual stocks. You, do, uh, you work extremely hard. Uh, you you, um, you know you pay full attention to your portfolio and how you're managing it. So I'd like to ask you, what are a couple of your key, some of the stocks that you like the most heading into uh, 2013? On the on the gold side, I know that Pedicilia is one of your favorites. Could you just uh, give our listeners a, a, a short um, ver, a, a short story of Pedicilia? Why you like that one? Yeah, it's a low-cost gold producer in, in Panama. Actually, I'm, I'm going to visit them in, in two weeks. Uh-huh. And uh, so it, the cost is 500, 600. If you look back, they're already in production. They fixed all the bugs, okay? In the past year, the cost is 500, $600. And they were producing around 60,000 in the past year. And then they earned 10 cents, about 10 cents, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's earning, okay? I mean, right uh-huh. now, they just upgrade their mill to the fourth bore mill, increase the throughout by one-third. They have the heat, heat bleach, probably getting more gold out. So uh, there are about 100,000 producers. So uh-huh. I, I won't be surprised in this coming year they will make a 20 cents. I mean, it's a 40-cent stock. In 48-cent yeah. stock, I mean, they can potentially earn 20 cents in a year, you know, talking about the, how cheap, the gold producer is. So uh, this is a stock I feel very compelled uh, that can potentially easily go much higher. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, the, one of the fear was they, they were trying to raise some money uh, to, uh, to, be, to expedite their Spanish mine. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there was a fear of dilution, but they already raised the money. They raised money without any dilution. Part mm-hmm. of because the management, management owned a very large percent, more than 15%, I was told, of the company's shares. So they were being very careful about dilution, mm-hmm. which I also like. Oh, yeah, that's that's a key to you. I know that's one of the things you look at. Uh, it's very important, and, and rightfully so. Well, this is a stock that trades on the Toronto Exchange under the symbol PTQ and PTQMF in the United States. What about another one is Orvana, traded uh, TSX ORV and also in the United States ORVMF. Why do you like that one? Well, it's, it's a pure cash flow story. Uh, if you compare Padakila and Ovana, Ovana is a little bit more advanced. So 
so basically they are in the stage that they finish most of the capex. Uh, okay, they have uh, one one mine in Spain, one mine in Bolivia, uh, one a little bit more in depth, but uh, you know, but then but they will start paying back the debt in very rapid case. Uh, I, I don't know if people uh, to listen to their recent conference call. I mean, they gave the the management gave some idea sure. what they are looking like. I mean, I calculate from the guidance. The management gave. I calculate they can easily generate eighty, ninety cent, ninety million dollar in uh, cash flow. Okay, this what? is a, uh, from the mining operation. Then you you put on their capex. Their capex, I think, is uh, a total. It's about twenty eight million. I mean, I put on all the number twenty eight. You, you put on some SGNA. They can put you know pay back the debt at very very rapid pace. Mm-hmm. Okay, but also you know you look at this, you say okay, so what is, am I missing right now? So right now they're paying that. I think the management already hinted due to the timing of the sale, the Q1 may be a little bit weak. So they will be a Q1. They they will they may need the lender to extend their debt a little bit. Okay, mm-hmm. but the lender are friendly. But by Q2 they should be up and running. The company can just you know they can go without any. You know, assets in need of capital, and then just paying back their debt, and then moving to the next phase. You talked about eighty and ninety million, eighty to ninety million dollars in cash flows. Is that what you said, Chen? Yes. And what would that amount to on a per share basis, more or less? Oh, um, I, I didn't do exact calculation. I was thinking probably sixty could be sixty cents. Okay, and I like and that. I ask that because I see that the stock is selling. I believe it around under a dollar. Yeah, exactly. So that's a, just another extremely undervalued stock. Uh-huh. You know, look at the mining space. Uh, almost every stock are undervalued. But the, uh, what I'm looking at is companies that can grow on its own. Okay, right. they can grow on it. They don't need to go back to the dilute shareholder, raise money. And particularly, it's extreme case. They already raised all the money. They are on the road, 100 million cash flow. Uh, market cap is less than 100 million. Obama is similar, you know, a little bit over 100 million market cap, but a little bit less than 100 million in, in, in cash flow. So you look at the price to cash flow ratio, you say, what is missing? You know, is this market, uh, you know, stupid or something? It's just too, too cheap, right? Yeah. So, so, so that's, that's why I'm buying. Well, I know I've, you... I've been saying in my, to my subscriber, last year I've been underweighting miners, and this year I'm going to change. Uh, I'm no longer underweighting miners because they're just so cheap. Well, Chen, you did very well on underweighting miners last year. You did also did very well by overweighting, uh, I think it's fair to say, in the energy sector, right? Yeah, I put a lot of money in energy. Yeah, it's probably one of the largest uh, weight. And so there are a couple of favorites there you have. We've got a couple of minutes left only. Uh, Pan Orient, you like that one a lot. Why? Oh, this year they're going to have everything lined up to start drilling some very, very big targets. Those are right next to PetroChina. Uh, even you look at the most bearish report, that's uh, Raymond James, they, they agree that if they hit their target, it's a $50 stock. Right now, stock trading about a $3.50, okay? Uh, and it's fully funded. The company, you know, have a more than $2 in cash. Uh, they will end up this year with still with a lot of cash in their bank. So, and then it's a producer. They are producing about 1,500 a, a barrel per day in Thailand. Wow. So uh-huh. it's a producer. It's making money, generating cash flow. And then they have a huge target that they plan for the last five, six years. And then finally start drilling. 
for this year. So I'm excited. This company, if this successful, could be a ten bagger of the year. Right. So I'm 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 taking taking a shot on that. I'm very excited. Uh, mm-hmm. I've been accumulating that, uh, you know, for, for the past few months, as I told my subscriber. And again, it's a cash flow positive. It's making a lot of money right now, so it's not like you're taking a, a risk with a, an exploration stock. What about Mart? Mart, Mart is another, it's slightly different. Mart already more than 10 back for me. I mean, I owned that almost three years ago at the 15, 16 cents. Now it's a dollar 70 plus 20 cents dividend. Actually, I just checked my account just came up with that. Five cents more dividend, so it's about twenty cents dividend already paid. Uh, so you think the stock was more than tenfold for me, uh, but in next this year it's going to look very exciting uh, because they're going to finally build a pipeline with Shell, and then they could potentially double and triple its production. And then the management already hinted they will increase the dividend. Right now the dividend uh, rate is about twelve percent. Okay, wow. it's not those. Uh, Companies say, oh, they, you know, they, they, they may cut dividend. No, I, I think they, this is a low-cost producer, and that they, their paying, payout ratio is very low. So, uh, you know, the, the dividend will, will, will be there for, for a very long time, I believe. And then they will increase. They can potentially increase significantly this year. So that's, that's why I'm very excited about that. Of course, uh, I guess one of the things that keeps a lot of people away is it is Nigeria. Uh, we basically have to go. Uh, we have to go to commercial break. But just a second to tell our listeners, Nigeria isn't uh, doesn't concern you as much as, as it does some people. Why? Well, China just paid twenty three barrel per, per uh, twenty three dollar per barrel for Nigeria asset. Okay, I mean to a lot of other countries uh, outside United States, <laughs> Nigeria is not a uh, not a bad place to invest. Uh-huh. So okay. I, I mean, when Mars prove out their resource, they can potentially sell to you know eager Chinese buyers at a much higher premium. Yeah, you think it could be taken out then by uh, at a much higher price potentially? I would think so, but in the meantime, you got to pay pay very high dividend to yeah. wait. Very nice, very nice, Chen. Well, thank you very much for your ideas. Always exciting. You you work extremely hard and. Uh, your success doesn't come without effort, that's for sure. So uh, thank you very much for sharing some of these ideas with us again, and I uh, hope to have you on again sometime soon. All right, thank you. Thank you, Jay. Folks, don't go away. I'll be back with some closing thoughts on today's show uh, and also a word about next week's guest. So don't go away. I'll be right back. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Eurasian Minerals is a prospect generation exploration and royalty company focused on the discovery of gold and copper. The company currently has over 140 properties on four continents. Our joint venture partners have committed to spend over $15 million on Eurasian Minerals projects in 2012. The company maintains a tight share structure, a low cash burn rate, and holds $43 million in cash. Creating value through discovery, growth, and royalties. Eurasian Minerals. Riverside Resources is a mineral exploration company focused on making big discoveries and is advancing a strong portfolio of gold, silver, and copper properties in the Americas. Riverside owns commanding land packages near active mines and deposits where new discoveries have been efficiently developed. Riverside Resources is exploring Mexico, a country with a rich mining history and an even more promising future. Riverside Resources. Knowledge is golden.
listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and we certainly did hear a lot about hard times today in today's show with uh, David Stockman talking uh, about uh, Ben Bernanke uh, being uh, the most dangerous uh, high-level official in American history. And Jeff Deist uh, thought that was a pretty good assessment as well. And if you do believe, uh, as I do believe, that creating money out of nothing and redistributing wealth uh, in a very clandestine way, as our government is doing, from those that create it, from the miners, the farmers, the inventors, uh, the manufacturers, to those that control the system, creating new money and getting the first dibs on that new money, uh, and by uh, creating all manner of malinvestment and uh, misallocation of resources, capital resources as well as day-to-day resources, then um, what we're doing is creating a very, very bad situation. I think that is. I think that uh, that David Stockman was not overstating uh, the trouble that we're in, the problem that we're in. It's just obvious. The more and more you look at it, unless you choose not to look at it at all, and I think Paul Krugman and other people uh, have some kind of rose-colored glasses on. They're delusional people that can't seem to figure out, uh, you know, the sort of common sense stuff that you don't need to have a Ph.D. for. And as a matter of fact, a lot of times these guys with Ph.D.s from prestigious universities are most disadvantaged in understanding what's really going on. Of course, they are helped to, dis- to misunderstand what's going on by the fact that they uh, are being paid to do so in many ways. Uh, and that's another story. Of course, we do talk about some of those things from time to time on the show. Um, so David Stockman, Jeff Dice uh, talked about the kind of trouble that we're in. Jeff Dice says, "I wouldn't buy. Uh, I don't want to buy stocks at all. I don't want to be buy bonds. Uh, maybe a few junior shares, maybe a few uh, me, uh, intermediate or larger uh, mining companies, gold mining companies, perhaps, and own some gold bullion and uh, keep out of debt. But basically." Uh, not wanting to be invested in the market very much at all because he doesn't have the time to do it uh, and the time to specialize uh, in that. That's not his, fort- his forte. Uh, of course, that's why we like Chen Lin so much. Chen has come up with some fantastic ideas. I think he expressed a few of them today to you. Pedicilia and Orvana uh, among the gold producers um, and uh, Pan Orient and Mart resources. Another one he didn't have time to mention but it's one that uh, that I have purchased and I, I think is a really good one is Alon USA Partners. That's a bigger company that's uh, a pipeline company uh, and a refinery company down in Texas uh, paying very strong dividends, over 20% probably this year based on company's guidance. Uh, but it looks uh, also taking advantage of the crack spread, the difference between the Brent prices and the West Texas intermediate prices uh, to reap very large profits. And uh, as a P, as a uh, partnership, they are required to pay out 90% of those profits. So that is one I like a lot. And Chen uh, probably will be back on to talk about it sometime in there in the not-too-distant future. Um, 
The oil stocks, uh, for sure. I mean, uh, Pan Orient, very, very interesting company. Chen just gave you some reasons. Mart. Uh, again, though, these are companies that, um, you know, there's nothing uh, risk-free in this world uh, that can give you those kind of returns. Uh, and so the uh, the investors that uh, subscribe to Chen's newsletter and those that are near their computers most of the day can get the benefit of trading uh, with Chen, and he has had a remarkable track record. Of course, the past history is no guarantee of the future. Uh, nobody can guarantee the future, uh, but it does pay to go with winners, and which is one of the reasons that I like to go uh, with uh, the companies that we have, actually all of the companies that we have now as sponsors to this show. Uh, and again, as I've said, this is the best of times and the worst of times in the gold mining sector. The gold mining sector, the companies that are in production, can grow organically are doing extremely well. Uh, and those are, you know, the companies uh, like Dynacor, for example, is doing extremely well because it's growing organically. So we'll be talking to you more about our sponsors. We are basically out of time. My engineer is telling me I've got 30 seconds to say goodbye to you. So uh, that is all the time we have for this week. I should say that next week we're going to have Alistair McLeod with me and Peter Granich. Both of those gentlemen will be giving us their view of 2013, what they see ahead. Uh, also joining me will be Amir Adnani, the president of Brazil Resources. This is a company that I think very, very highly of. So we'll be back next week. And I, I do uh, want to also thank uh, Tacey Trump and Matt uh, Widener, my engineer, uh, for making the show logistically possible. Thanks to each of you for listening, making it the number one show on the Voice America Business Channel. Till next week, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel.